if there's any kind of magic in this world, it must be in the attempt of understanding someone sharing something. I know, it's almost impossible to succeed, but who cares, really? The answer must be in the attempt. Welcome back to a Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third bonus track. I'm Jarf, your host, and this week we are covering The Before Trilogy by Richard Linklater. And our guest is Liz Locke, founder of Cinemasips.com, a guide to cocktail and movie pairings, frequent contributor to Movie John, and now author of Follow the Sun. Welcome, Liz. Thanks, Jarv. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So maybe before we get fully into the Before Trilogy, do you want to tell us a little bit about Follow the Sun? Because you mentioned that there was a little bit of a connection, inspiration. The book is, it comes out uh, June 6th. So it'll definitely be a, like a summer beach read kind of thing. Um, but no, it's set in the 1960s during the international jet set era. Um, and I would say that like before sunrise was a really big influence on it. Um, just because it's about, it's a romance about two people from very different backgrounds who meet in a foreign country, kind of like Jesse mm-hmm. and Celine. Um, mm-hmm. and they like form this immediate connection. They have two perfect days together and then they leave and go back to their, you know, own lives. Um, the hero, the hero is a life magazine photographer and the heroine is an aspiring singer songwriter. Um, they think they're never going to see each other again, but then he manages to find his way back to her in yet another foreign country. And, you know, after that they run away together, but then the pressures of their lives back home start to complicate things kind of like in before Mm -hmm. midnight. Um, so there's definitely like this constant tension created by the differences in their backgrounds and the distance created by geography. But, you know, and like Jesse and Celine and Before Midnight, there are things they want to accomplish in their own lives that interfere with them being together as a couple. Um, but I hope that like the tension of wondering if they'll ever come back together again, if they'll ever see each other again, um, it'll keep people reading Kind of like it made me want to keep watching each of these movies Um, and also like setting the book scenes in these exotic, beautiful locations like Acapulco and Switzerland and Spain. Um, It makes me feel like it's kind of a cinema vacation that these movies have always been, you know, in the before movies because we have Vienna and Paris and I think Greece in the last one. So they've always been a vacation. And I hope that this book is like that for readers. Nice. That sounds really cool. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Well, okay. So let's start by giving our listeners a little bit of your personal history with Before Sunrise. Because when we were kind of discussing would you want to be on this bonus track? You mentioned that you got to see it in a very exciting way. So tell us that story. So my personal thing is more with Before Sunset, but I will kind of go back a little bit. Like Before Sunrise, I discovered that um, when I was in high school, I think I found it in Blockbuster Video. Um, 
And I rented it because the cover looked really romantic. And I was a big Ethan Hawke fan by that point because of Reality Bites. And I remember like watching it for the first time and then rewinding the tape and immediately starting it again. And I think I must have watched it like four or five times in a single weekend. I just loved it so much. Um, and then, you know, I, it was always one of my favorites. And I had, you know, I had the tape and then the DVD and... I don't know. I just always assumed that that would be the end of it, as I think a lot of people Oh, yeah, did. sure. Um, so many years went by, and I just thought, you know, this is just a really great, perfect movie that exists on its own. Um, so cut to 2004, um, I came to this Austin, where I live now, um, to the South by Southwest Film Festival. Um, and my friend and I noticed um, in the festival program on the last day like it it was like a Sunday at 11 a.m. there was this unmarked screening at the Paramount Theater which is like if you know Austin you know like the Paramount's a pretty big venue and they put like the bigger movies there because it can hold a lot of people so we thought like well that's weird we don't know what this movie is but we're just gonna go because there's nothing else that we want to see at that time and it's at the Paramount, so whatever this is must be something cool. Um, so we were in line to get in, and like people in line were talking like, oh, I bet it's the next Richard Linkletter movie because he usually premieres his new stuff at the festival. And we were like, oh, that's exciting, you know, because School of Rock had just come out, I think, the year or two before, and I just thought it was something along the lines of that. I don't know, like another comedy mm -hmm. or something. But whatever it was, like, just the idea of Richard Linklater movie, like, that's exciting. Um, so we go in, and I think like, the film distribution company, like, they were making everyone, if you had a camera on your phone, you had to, like, put it in this basket in the lobby. Wow. <laughs> and this was, wow. like, the early, early days of cell phone. Like, I had just gotten a cell phone, like, two years prior to this, so... I had this ancient flip phone, no camera. I don't even think it had texting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, so I could hang on to my phone, luckily. But I always remember that basket in the lobby of the Paramount where everyone was just putting their cell phones in. Um, anyway, like, they just didn't want you. What, so again, the like anticipation was ramped up because it was like, oh, what is this that they don't want us to record or take any footage of? Like, it must be something amazing. Um, so we went in and, you know, took our seats and the lights went down and Richard Linkletter was introduced. So immediately, like my friend and I were super excited. Um, but then he announced that they had made a sequel to Before Sunrise and we were among the first people to see it. And I, I mean, my mind was just blown because like Before Sunrise was one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. And here it's like Jesse and Celine are back and we're going to find out if they got together in Vienna six months later or not. Like, it was just crazy that this was happening. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, of course, like, I love, you know, we watched the movie. I loved the movie and still like Before Sunset is still one of my favorite in the trilogy. Um but then afterward, we left the theater and like we're walking, you know, back to our hotel 
And I look down a side street and there's Richard Linklater like walking to his car, like just on the street, like a normal person. And I'm just like, oh my God, is that what living in Austin is? <laughs> like, like Richard Linklater just walks around like, like a normal person on the street. And like, it sounds weird, but in like, I do think that that had something to do with my moving here. Like, it just seemed like such a cool town where these creative people all came together um, and lived these like normal lives. Um, so anyway, that's my personal story with Before Sunset. And I did um, see Before Midnight at South by Southwest when that premiered as well. Um, so I got to see that at the festival. but And uh, Boyhood, I, I made it a point to see that one. Um, I try and see Linklater's South by premieres if I can. So... <laughs> But yeah, it's just it's just a really incredible moment in my nice. life. For sure. That is very cool. I'm very jealous. And I can't imagine the feeling of sitting in that theater and then getting the reveal that you're about to see the sequel. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's kind of <laughs> it's making me want to approach another question that I had in a little bit of a different way. So I was curious how you felt about how their story evolves through the trilogy. But I want to first start with just that moment when you learn that you're going to see the sequel. And you talked about the excitement, but I wonder if there was any reticence because you had so much love for the original. Was there any part of you that thought, oh, there shouldn't be a sequel it should be always left to the imagination or anything like that? Or was it all in the moment of just, yes, now we get to find out? Well, I think um, I think for me it was pure excitement and only because, like, Link, like before the movie started, Linklater said, you know, I, like, you know, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy are back in this and we wrote it together and we, you know we isolated like in a like a hotel or something for all this time and we were just writing this movie together and it was a completely collaborative experience and we thought a lot about what would be the most authentic thing for these characters and like I think I just I went into it feeling like oh we're in good hands mm. you know like they're mm. not going to destroy what I've built up in my mind um, and of course, like, you know, you do, you do picture what's going to happen after the story ends with any book or movie. Um, and, you know, and I think there is something kind of pure and magical about not knowing. But at the same time, like, on a cliffhanger, I want to know. I really want to yeah. know. <laughs> so, so I think, yeah, for me, it was mostly excitement. And I think that that is a great point about the story being in good hands because Linklater took this collaborative approach and co-wrote it with Ethan Hawke and Jolie Delpy because you you can really see how the story pays off that they put in this investment and in really thinking, okay, let's not just do a sequel for the sake of doing a sequel and bring back and, and retread the same story beats. Let's really think, okay, what, what would have happened and what could complicate things? 
and how can we reconnect them in a way that honors what happened before, but then you really feel like they have lived a little bit of their lives and they are a little bit different. Right. And I think, too, um, you know, by that point, when Before Sunset came out, Waking Life had already come out. And we already saw like a dream sequence of Jesse and Celine mm -hmm. together. And mm -hmm. so maybe in some ways I was prepped for, you know, their story to continue. Although like in that movie, obviously it was easy to set that aside as like, oh, this is just a dream. You know, this may right. or may not have happened. It, you know, um, my th my thoughts about what happened after before sunrise can remain pure. Like we still don't really know, <laughs> you know, um, but it did like kind of prep me for, you know, being open to having their story continue, just seeing them together again. So do you remember movie. what you had imagined happened before you saw? I definitely thought that they, like, met, they met six months yep. later. Like, yep. I really thought, yeah, they met six months later and lived happily ever after. I, you know, and that's, I'm a romance reader and writer, you know, that's, I, I always believe in the happy mm -hmm. ending. <laughs> so. But I like the way, I mean... It would be hard to do a sequel if that's what had happened because mm -hmm. then there isn't the tension of, oh, one of them was there, but the other one wasn't, but right. she had a good reason. And, right. and, and And how have their feelings about romance changed because that didn't work out? So I think it was really important that they took it in a different direction since they were going to continue the story. Yeah, I mean, if they had just met and lived happily ever after, you're right, there would be nowhere to go in the second movie. But yet they somehow managed to turn like what would was a tragic ending, like they did not meet six months later, like that's horrible. But then they made the most romantic movie out of it. Um, so I love that. In some ways, it's like a second chance romance almost. Um, yeah, I just, it was handled so well. I think so that's well. why the second movie resonates with me the most, because I love the idea of the initial meeting and getting caught up in, in the first, you know, stirrings of romance. But it's in that second movie where it it hasn't worked out like they wanted, but now they've got this second chance and they're trying to recapture it, that that, that is just something that I connected with more strongly. So I, I really love the second one. Now, yeah, we haven't talked a lot about Before Midnight, although you did mention that you saw it at the premiere. You yes. And you mentioned that you're a, a romance writer. So... To you, is Before Midnight romantic? Well, I mean, if this was a book, it would not be categorized as romance because the ending is pretty ambiguous still. I mean, again, I think it ends on a hopeful note. I think, you know, I think they're going to be okay. I think they're going to stay together. Um, but for, we don't know that for sure by the end. Um 
But, um, I mean, I think it's incredibly romantic. Like, here are people, like, living their real lives finally and just fighting so hard to stay together. They're they're fighting with each other, and so it might not look like they're fighting to stay together, but you can tell there is still so much love there, and they're both trying under impossible circumstances. <laughs> so, um yeah, I mean, to me, it's romantic. I don't know, like, you know, genres are pretty picky about, like, the con- adhering to certain conventions. So, like, no, it's not a quote-unquote romance, but it is extremely I looked at romantic. it the same way. I wasn't thinking of it in terms of the literary definition. I think that that's a really fair point. But I agree with you 100%. It's it strikes me as romantic. Because as you said, they are still trying. And I also interpreted the ending as a hopeful note. I think it is somewhat of a litmus test for are you more of a romantic or a cynic, whether you think that things will work out for them. But I would say, yeah, like my husband had a totally different reading on that. Like he hates that movie and he is definitely like the scent. He was just like, that's the movie where they just bicker the whole time. And I said, well, but they find their way back to each other by the end. And he's just like, I don't think they do. I think they're still bickering at the end. <laughs> so <laughs> It definitely is. I mean, it definitely should. There's two different kinds of people in this world. Um, and how you view the ending of Before Midnight yeah. says it all. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. One of the funniest things that I heard Linklater say in the special feature is friends would tell him that they were thinking about going to see his movie on a date and talking about before midnight. And he would say, well, I mean, how are you guys doing? (laughs) Maybe you shouldn't. So that's really funny. Try before sunrise instead, like find a revival screening. Yeah, then everything will be good. Yeah. So for all three of the movies, was there a particular scene that resonated with you the most? Um, you know, it's funny, although Before Sunset is my favorite of the three, um, when I think of this trilogy, I think of the scene in Before Sunrise um, when they're in the record store listening booth. Um, and they're like trying not to look at each other, um, trying not to make it obvious how into each other they both are, but it's very, very clear to the audience. Um, and it's the way that Linkletter filmed that. It's just like the camera not moving, but they are making these subtle movements and there's like an uncomfortableness, but this tension, this visual tension created the way it's shot, um, And it just, I just feel like it captures that first blush of initial attraction so well. Um, And that scene makes you remember exactly how it feels to want to kiss someone for the first time. Um, And I just, like, that's when, in my head, when I picture Jesse and Celine, I picture them in that, in that booth. That is such an excellent choice of all the scenes throughout the entire trilogy. I kid you not, that was my choice too. Really? Wow. (laughs) Well, it just shows how powerful it is. Yeah. And it was for the same reasons that 
specifically I noticed them glancing at each other and glancing the other way and and the way that tension builds up so yeah and and the song is great too so yes yeah I actually I had a friend um that made me like a mix cd of every like song that's in all of the trilogies um so you know like in in each of the movies so she had some from the first movie and the second one and the the third um and that was great and I was like I'm just like where did you find this song you know from the record booth because I don't know I guess at the time I didn't like take the time to look it up but yeah it's a great song and I guess too um I you know in the my husband and I listen to a lot of vinyl and we you know we have a standing date every Sunday we call it vinyl cocktail hour and we put a record on and I make a cocktail and and it's just a nice time to like sit and talk to each other and like look at each other and connect um you know, because lives get so busy. And, you know, part of that, I, I wonder now, like, am I hearkening back to this scene in the movie? You know, <laughs> Where it's like, that's what love and attraction looks like, you know, two people listening to a record. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just like realizing now how much of a part of my life it's become. I love that. And I love the way that because I love vinyl too. vinyl grounds you in the moment and in the place. In the, it's with streaming music, you you can listen to it on your phone, you can play it on your smart speakers, you can leave and get in the car and pick up the same song that you were listening to, which is nice because I like to have music fill my day, but it is also easier for it to recede into the background when you don't have to just really physically be there and drop the needle and, and you know, <laughs> make sure that you don't bump the record player with whatever else you're doing. So, yeah. What did you call it? Vinyl cocktail hour? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we do a different record every week. And I try, you know, I, I it started because a friend of mine got this book for us. I think it was just called Vinyl Cocktails. And I'm sure it's still available on Amazon. But it's a book. It's kind of like Cinema Sips. It pairs... Um, cocktails with records oh that sounds great yeah it's a great book and it it got us started on this um so i started making some of the cocktails in the book and we had a lot of the records that were in the book because it's a lot of classic vinyl and um and we just realized like we were looking forward to sunday every every week and who looks forward to a sunday i know sunday (laughs) is like the bummer day because it's like uh, next thing you know it's monday but no, it was just, it was really great to like make this a weekly date and we can connect and talk about what we've got coming up that next week or like things that we've been thinking about. Um, so, and then, you know, have that a great record and a great cocktail um, and a mocktail for my husband because he doesn't drink. But um, no, it's just a really nice time to connect. So yeah, vinyl cocktail hour. Let's make it a thing. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to give a a second choice for scene that resonated with me. And it's hardly in as powerful a sense as the record store, but it just is a little moment in Before Midnight that struck me as powerfully authentic. So it's when, and this goes back to your husband's comment about their bickering all the time. So it's when Celine says, Something to the effect of, I can't understand you, 
And then she says, I feel like I'm breathing oxygen and you're breathing helium. And then Jesse makes the dad joke of responding in a high-pitched voice. Why would you say that? And then so she gets predictably annoyed and is like, oh, see, that's what you do. You have to make a joke. But what what I really enjoyed about it is Jesse seems so pleased with himself for making this joke. It's just kind of like, but you got to admit, it was a good one, right? I, and, <laughs> and I really resonated with not being able to resist making a joke in the middle of an important discussion with my wife, even though I know it's not going to help things just because I think it will be funny. Right. I mean, that's the thing about these movies. They feel so real. And I think that's like people connect with them because of scenes like that. Um, you know, we've all had that moment of like trying to lighten the situation <laughs> with a joke, even though it's like, this is not going to help anything, but I just have <laughs> to try, you know, um, or I can't resist <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, I just, that really speaks to like why these movies matter so much. To Was people. there a <laughs> Uh, favorite musical moment of yours? Um, I think when Jess when Celine sings the waltz to Jesse at the end of Before Sunset, um, I just remember like sitting in that theater and just being blown away. Like this song was so perfect for that moment. But what was even more perfect was his face as she's singing it to him. Um, like he's just. He's happy to know that, like, she's been thinking of him enough to write a whole song about the night that they met. Like, he wrote this book and he she wrote this song. So it's clear, like, they are on the same page. They still think of each other and want each other. And you just know, like, as she's singing, like, and he's watching her, you know he is not getting on that plane. He is not leaving her this time. So I think that's what makes it my favorite. So, again, that was mine, too. (laughs) (laughs) And my favorite moment within the moment is when she says Jesse in the song. And he just has such a powerful reaction, like, what like wow it's real now like and and she hesitates a bit before she says it where it's just kind of like i've gone this far i have to say the real lyric like yes it is about you so (laughs) amazing and you know i think so julie delpy was at the premiere before sunset like at south Hmm. by and i think she like i guess she's a musician in real life too because she stayed um you know, after the film festival, they do the music festival. And I think they announced that, like, she was going to be performing at one, like, a couple of clubs that week. Um, I don't know if she did the waltz song. I did not go. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but that would be amazing to see it live. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. But no, it's, something. I mean, it's funny that the two scenes that we resonate with the most are both music yes. scenes. <laughs> I love that that scene. And the record sort of scene. But I also love the way music is used throughout to just create that romantic ambiance between them. And there was another moment, I think it's in Before Sunset, when, so they've just met at the bookstore. 
and they agree, okay, we're going to walk to this coffee shop. And as soon as they walk out of the bookstore, it's like, wow, we're back in that same vibe of before sunrise of them walking and talking. And just as they walk across the street, I think it's maybe, and there's a street musician who just like drifts into the frame and starts playing an accordion player or something like that. And it looks like something that just happens naturally. Of course, this is all completely staged, but I love that they give it that little bit of magical flourish to to them walking and talking. Well, and that's like, I think you you hit on it. The music in these movies is so magical. Um, I love, love, love the score of Before Midnight. Um, it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, and music is used so sparsely. Like, you know, the songs in these movies are sparse compared to School of Rock, compared to Dazed and Confused. Um, but that just makes the music choices that are made even yeah, more powerful. absolutely. And there there aren't the same situations where in days there's a lot of diegetic music because they'll all hop into a car and pop in an A-track and then start cruising around or, or walk into the Emporium and there's music playing on the jukebox. So it just wouldn't have been natural in the situations they're in, but he finds all of these ways. It's they, they walk by a place in somebody's practicing harpsichord inside and they they stand and listen and lots of things like that yeah i i love 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 the music do you see any dazed and confused dna in these films um you know certainly the concept of time and i think that that's something that we see in many many link letter movies um and definitely like you know in dazed it's a lot of little moments that then, you know, seem small when they're happening, but then you look back on them and realize how impactful they were. And I think that that's something in before in the before trilogy as well. Um, the, you know, walking with this girl in Vienna, like it was just a day of their lives, but it was everything, you know? And I think also like that search for connection and figuring out who you are um, and what you want your future to be. I think that even carries through to like before midnight, I think they're still figuring out what they want to be when they grow up, you know? (laughs) Um, And I, you know, that's certainly a big thing in and confused too is figuring can out you say you a little bit more about what you mean by the concept of time and how it's used in these films i mean it's something that strikes me when i watch them um you know their uh outfits could be from any era you know the stuff that they wear in before midnight like they could have worn it in before sunrise and it would not have been like out of out of place there's like a timelessness to that the physical trappings within these movies um the cities themselves we could be watching paris or vienna or greece in 1982 we could be watching it in 2023 there is just this timelessness to the setting um and their costumes and their hairstyles um And then I think it's because that stuff is like almost trapped in amber, like it's timeless. 
it makes it more apparent how the characters change through time. Um, you know, because the the characters in Before Midnight are not the same as the ones in Before Sunrise. And when you watch the trilogy, you know, pretty quickly, like back to back, it's really apparent, um, you know, how much they have grown up. I mean, in some ways, they're still growing and still learning. But, um, you know, it seems like their world remains the same. Like, they're still having these long philosophical conversations on a walk. You know, every, like, it's all the same, but, and it's timeless. But then they themselves as people change I like that. through time. I like that a lot. And it makes me want to share something that my wife observed when she, I was going to say she was watching these, but... So I was rewatching these in preparation for this bonus track. So she caught a couple chunks of Before Sunrise and Before Sunset on back-to-back days. But she wasn't watching. I was giving her a head rub at the time. So she was just listening. And that's important for her observation because she said that She was really impressed in particular with Ethan Hawke's acting in Before Sunrise, and he struck her as remarkably authentic. But then when she was listening to Before Sunset, she had the opposite reaction. She said they they sound so unnatural and all, all other conversations sound artificial. And and I think it I think a big factor is because she was only hearing it and not watching them. And the other factor is because of what you said, how they've changed as people. Yeah, so. and certainly like their relationship has changed like now they have this thing hanging over them that he showed up mm-hmm. and she did not. And they're mm-hmm. like more hesitant with each other in the second one than they were in the first. Um because it didn't take them long to like get together in the first one. Um, but it felt like you're spending the whole movie watching these two people be very careful with each other in number yes, two. Yes, and they're being very <laughs> careful with what they say and what they reveal. But then to the just hearing it and not seeing it, there is a whole other story being told in their body language and their expressions and the way they react to what the other says. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's so many little moments, like just off the top of my head, like there's this moment in the cab or the car where Julie Delpy like reaches out to touch Ethan Hawke, but then she Mm. moves her hand back at the last second. And that's not something you would ever catch not watching it, but it's so, so, so important to what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So... The Before Trilogy, not an audio drama. That's that's our number one advice. Well, did you sure. did you have any final thoughts about the trilogy or way that you wanted to kind of encapsulate your reaction to it? How how in general was it to revisit these? It sounds like these are movies that mean a lot to you, so it probably hasn't been too long since you've seen them. Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, I will say, like, it's difficult to get through Before Midnight every time. Um, You know, I feel like the first two, I'm always, I'm just happy and I really want to watch these. And it's easy to, like, I could could watch those every day, you know. Um, But 
before midnight, it's like I feel like the only time I watch that one. Oh, and I will say too, like the the first two, I can watch them on their own and just leave that. I can only watch before sunset and just be happy with that that day. Mm-hmm. But I've never been able to just watch before midnight and leave it at that. You know, I always have to watch it as the conclusion to because I've just watched the first two. Um, and I think, yeah, I still feel that way. I feel like on, in many ways, like, like technically it can exist on its own, but it just, yeah, for me, it can't, you know, (laughs) like I always have to watch it in conjunction with the other two. And I don't know if that's a success or a failure or how Linkletter would feel about that. But, like, that's where I, how I still come down with it. I still think it's a deeply romantic movie. I still love it. But I have to watch the other two because um, if it was just that one, it's, it's tough to get through all the arguing <laughs> and not know that, like, they have such, like, such a strong foundation and to have seen the journey that they went through in the first two and I think knowing what the first two were I think that's what makes me hopeful at the end of the last one is that they went through all of this and they made it and they're having some trouble but they're gonna be okay because they've been okay before you know so yeah I think um I think that's my still my main takeaway I still love number two the best and I and maybe and I do wonder as I get older if I'm gonna appreciate before midnight more I mean I I think I like to think that my marriage is a lot happier (laughs) than the one that's depicted in before midnight (laughs) but who knows what the next decade will bring you know so maybe I will get to a point where I I relate to things in that one more but like for where I'm at in my life right now it's definitely before sunset like you know obviously like I've got the romance thing locked down I'm very much in love with my husband but um you know I think there is still this a little bit of figuring it out and like you finally figure out what you want to do but then making that happen um you know it's middle age it's it's, you know, we're at the point now where, yeah, we've, like, lived through some things and we kind of know what direction we want our lives to head in, but we're still making that happen. Um, and maybe, too, you know, I hope to be like Jesse in the bookstore one day with people asking me questions about my books. Like, that would be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe I relate to Jesse the author more than like Jesse the like struggling college student and Jesse the like writing weird esoteric novels that nobody wants to read in the last <laughs> one. <laughs> you know? I ho- I like to think I'm Jesse in the second one. <laughs> yeah, but it's it speaks to the strength in, of these movies that there's something in each of them that you can relate to and to back to the theme of time. I feel like when I watch before sunrise, I'm that age again. And, and the same holds true for 
the entire trilogy and and you can kind of be all of those different ages at once i mean and it's it's interesting too um you know to watch boyhood and see ethan hawk you know time travel through that movie mm-hmm. um you know and i know like he was making it while he was doing these before movies too you know so it's just really interesting to see that and then to have that like that thread of him like worrying about being the deadbeat dad in Before Midnight and then he is the deadbeat dad in Boyhood, you know. Right. Um, it's just a really like, God, we are so blessed to have Richard Linklater as a filmmaker. So yes, blessed. It's so true. For for everything that I appreciate about authentic filmmaking and just moments that ring true. It's he has really contributed so much to film. Well, this has been a great conversation as always, Liz. Thank you so much for joining us again. Well, thank you. It is such a joy to talk about these movies with someone who loves them as much and, as I and do. And picks the exact same moments. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Every time. Yes. Well, I, I mentioned a couple of things that you're up to online and with your book. Do you want to tell listeners more about that? and or where they can find you online? Um, sure, I'll just say again, um, I'm on cinemasips.com. Um, I had been doing a movie and a cocktail every week. That schedule kind of got a little wonky this winter <laughs> with all the work that I've been doing on my book. Um, but I am getting back to it now. So I've got a whole crop of movies coming up that I'm excited about um, and lots of cocktail recipes. And I've been doing it for, you know, almost a decade now. So if there is a movie that you need a cocktail for, just do a search. I've probably covered it. I think I did the before movies on there as well. (laughs) So um, anyway, and then my book, like I said, comes out on June 6th. And it's called Follow the Sun. um, And you can get it at any major retailer. And pre-ordering is lovely i think my publisher would love it if people pre-ordered this but certainly if you want to wait for pool and beach season that is fine too (laughs) got yourself a romantic beach read yes it's It's romantic it's it's women's fiction it's historical fiction it's romance it's a lot of things (laughs) so (laughs) definitely a good vacation read All right. I dig it. Okay. A programming note, listeners. Next up in our bonus track series is Suburbia, directed by Linklater. And you get a couple returning cast members from Dazed and Confused, Nikki Cat and Parker Posey, plus a score by Sonic Youth. So got to be here. So that's going to drop the first Friday in April. Thanks again for joining me, Liz. This has been a blast. And listeners, I'll check you later. Thanks. Check you later. (laughs) Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.